Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and investment wisdom collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring you the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. In addition to Paul, as usual, we do have a very special guest today, and that's Kevin Williams, who's an executive vice president at PIMCO. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bart. Sure, of course. Um, PIMCO, for those who don't know, is one of the world's largest money managers. And with that, and because of that, they have a team of experts when it comes to evaluating economy, um, anything to do with investments and so forth. So we're happy to be work as partners with them. Um, and so I brought Kevin on the show today to talk a little bit more about, hey, just what's happening with the economy? What should we expect? It's no news to anybody that we're, we've gone through some pretty serious times and, and what lies ahead is really unknown, but there seems to be some signs and some indication. So Kevin, from, from your perspective and that of PIMCO's, why don't you provide us a high level outlook on what you think of the economy for the rest of the year? And, and you know, what does PIMCO think about GDP, unemployment, interest rates? I know I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at you, but um, go at it. Well, Bar, that's a, yeah, that's a big question there. It's a loaded question that uh, I'll try to unpack. But maybe what I'll do just briefly is, is sort of frame what investors have been faced with over the last three months. And I, I boil it down to three main risk factors that our end investors have been faced with. One is the massive toll from a, a human or health risk factor. But that also collided with uh, the broad soft in terms of the capital markets, whether that's a, a Russia-Saudi dispute with an oil shock, the sudden shock to the global economy and rising employment, and you saw the overall market moves across equity and fixed income. And you combine that with, with a political risk factor, both on a fiscal and monetary basis. But I would say one very, very positive note here is the very quick and powerful response from our policymakers, unlike what we saw in 2008 with a great financial crisis part. This is something where policymakers, both on the Fed and Treasury side of the equation, stepped up very quickly. And I would say today on the, on the market and the economy, just to give you an idea in terms of March, you had an environment, and, and this is something that's been building, where you had a number of investors stretching for yield. And in doing so, they were buying bonds from highly levered companies. So companies that took on more and more debt to grow their operations. And in turn, when they bought these fairly liquid bonds, they did so in day liquidity mutual funds and ETFs. Well, come to the first week of March, you had an environment where a number of people wanted to get out of the market very quickly. And so a lot of these managers, these mutual fund managers, were stuck with an asset liability mismatch, fairly illiquid securities housed inside of a day liquidity mutual fund or ETF. And that created some, some definitely some selling pressures in the marketplace of, of March, and that bled into April, uh, combined with the work-from-home order. But I would say, as I mentioned earlier, this powerful policy response where the Fed expanded its balance sheet bought over $2 trillion of securities. You saw the PPP program come on board. 
you saw a number of different lending facilities that was very swift compared to 2008. And so when we look at fundamentals, and I think this is important for all of your listeners to, to think through, when we look at fundamentals coming into this market downturn, we actually at PIMCO were quite uh, positive, both on the housing side equation and the consumer side. And if we look at housing over the last 12 plus years, really since 2008 and nine, you've seen a pretty, pretty significant recovery in terms of homeowners having more homeowner equity, home prices moving higher, better loan to value or LTV ratios in their home, i.e. they've built up nice home equity over the years. And on the consumer side, if you look at debt to income and payment to income ratios, you saw an environment where those ratios were much stronger and in better shape today than what they were back in 2008 and 2009. And if you look at broad statistics, you saw those debt to income and payment to income ratios going down uh, quite significantly. All that puts a positive view in terms of our perspective that the fact that the consumer and the housing market were in very good shape on a fundamental basis versus the credit side of the equation where you saw a significant re-leveraging taking place on the corporate balance sheet side. What do I mean by that, Bart, is basically you had an environment where corporations re-levered their balance sheet. And so what we call this at PIMCO is this a, a uneven credit recovery. The credit of consumers, the credit around housing post the great financial crisis of 2008, you saw 10 plus years of credit healing. On the flip side, you saw corporations re-levering up given the fact that interest rates were so low. And so I compare this to what we saw from 2000 to 2008, an environment where mortgage credit exposure, people getting out multiple mortgages, the banking system being on shaking ground, and then what you had in 2008. Well, fast forward to today, the housing and the banking world are actually quite sturdy. And we actually see for all those things I mentioned earlier on the housing side and the banks in a much better position in our view on a go forward basis but the corporate balance sheet side equation is where we're seeing some bumps in the road in terms of on a go-forward basis. But also that creates some opportunity as you start to see uh, various companies issue new debt in, in the market. I was just going to unpack a couple of things there. Um, one thing that you've said that I think is very, very relevant. I've had, as you might imagine, a lot of clients and a lot of conversations in the topic of of, hey, is this another 2008 and 09? And for the reasons that you said, I said, I don't think so, because there was such a different circumstances at that time from the financial, uh, from the leverage standpoint, um, all of which I had, had not seen coming into this. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and then I wanted to get your take on the oil. Um, you know, that kind of hit really hard, right? you know, felt like we were getting kicked while we were down. Do, um, and I don't, it may be hard to, to make a statement on it. And maybe it's an opinion, but is that any connection at all with the COVID or is it just, hey, it was just happened to be at this time and, and was it perhaps an opportune time for for those with the oil to, to take a jab? Uh, unfortunately, it was sort of the trifecta of approaches there, right? It was Russia and Saudi dispute in terms of, of supply and the imbalances between de demand and supply. You had COVID-19 or coronavirus. 
Uh, and then you had an environment in terms of valuations and where we were from a valuation standpoint. That was sort of the perfect storm that happened to coincide with the, the fairly significant numbers being reported on, on COVID-19. What we don't know, Bart, you know, what is the tail of or flattening of the curve of, of COVID-19, but from a, from a U.S. economy standpoint, the good news is we are starting to see the economy restart. We're starting to see various states lifting the stay or work from home or stay in place. And hopefully over time, employees returning to work. So we believe that, the, that businesses and consumers will be cautious, no doubt, in terms of their, their process of opening up and reengaging. But given the health of the consumers pre-crisis and the significant job that consumers have done in terms of savings rates pre-COVID and post the housing crisis of 2008, uh, we view the recovery, at least in terms of the U.S., to be more U-shaped or, or what I would say more walk-shaped, where it's not a V-shaped recovery where we're down and back up, but it's going to be a process of healing and recovery with some bumps in the road in terms of companies that are not going to be able to withstand the amount of debt that, that they have taken on over the last several years. So it's not to say that specific companies won't have issues, but I would say here investors need to be diligent in terms of what their risk return or risk reward tolerance is, as some companies are not going to make it because they've taken on too much debt over the yeah. last several years. And I'm, I'm happy to hear you say you. I think, I think we're past the V option. Well, maybe not. I mean, I guess it could be a V, but um, I'm happy to hear you say you because there are those that are saying, oh, could, it's going to be a W. You know, we're going to have another down, which obviously you don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. But it's there's certainly uh, differing opinions out there. That, that's exactly right. And I think in this world, you look for when you're investing, at least in fixed income, as what we're known for, it is looking for positions and bonds that have very, very resilient structures. What does that mean? That means that you're finding positions where there is a lean on assets, there is some subordination below you. And so this is what we're trying to ascertain today is what industries, what sectors, what companies do we like in terms of their bonds? And then do we get a nice income or coupon from those positions or those companies? And so we are seeing a, a sequencing, what I call, Bart, a sequencing of opportunities in the marketplace. What do I mean by that is, first, you've seen some of the big cap or mega cap companies come to market, meaning they're issuing new bonds in the marketplace. What is big cap or mega cap? It's companies like Apple. It's companies like McDonald's or Disney. And then you have sort of the next level of companies that have come to market where they have unencumbered assets. So they have assets they can pledge as collateral. But you have companies that have issued new bonds in the marketplace, be that Southwest Airlines, companies like Gap, where they use their Class A office buildings in San Francisco as part of their collateral, or companies like Nordstrom's, or even the cruise line industry, where you've seen a number of companies issue new bonds in the marketplace. And so specific to fixed income, Investors need to sort of recalibrate their, their return expectations, especially when a 10-year treasury today is yielding close to 0.7%. And so if you are living off of a fixed income or you're looking for 
some type of defensive posture and bonds, you and you have a, a spending policy that's greater than 0.7%, you need to look on a go-forward basis to look at more attractive sources of income or yield to supplement your fixed income portfolios uh, for, for or for use in spending in retirement. And so I think that's a big factor that I think a lot of people are going to have to recalibrate part is where am I willing to take risk? Where am I willing to get a nice yield? And how do I think about that on a go-forward basis, given where starting yields are today in fixed income? So that's an excellent point, and I want to get to that. But uh, what I, let's, let's kind of circle back, because I know that um, Dr. Bernanke um, has you know, made some client calls um, through PIMCO, and he also made some comparisons to 08 and the, you know, the differences. What else are you seeing like like what's 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 pimco's gdp um prediction as well as un, uh, unemployment i mean it seems to me unemployment's going to get worse before it gets better but from where i stand it seems to me that it's going to recover pretty quickly as well as, as the economy is getting back up so what's your thoughts there sure sure well i wish i had that crystal ball for for future growth uh, in terms of GDP, but in terms of the second quarter and third quarter, we are looking at negative prints in terms of GDP. And as you may recall, and some of your listeners may recall, the big part of GDP is what we call C or the consumer part of GDP. And as consumers have retrenched themselves over the months of, of March, April, May, uh, you've seen in turn consumer spending pull back. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, in some of the discussions we've had in terms of our macroeconomic outlook at PIMCO, is the fact that the consumers were in a very good starting position coming into the coronavirus crisis. And so when you start to look at those consumers coming back from a spending standpoint, coupled with those individuals that have been furloughed or laid off coming back in, and here, Bart, you sort of have to break it down. Where where are the where are the unemployment roles coming from? Is it coming from the service industry? Is it coming from temporary workers that have now filed for unemployment? Let's, let's unpack that a little bit further. And, and our view, at least in terms of the short term, uh, is we see unemployment potentially hitting 20%, 20-25%. Um, now, keep in mind, a large portion of that is tied to the service industry, is tied to some of the retail industry. So it's going to be a very bumpy ride on a return side of the equation. But nonetheless, we do view that as we start to see various states and counties reopen, you start to see that component in terms of employment uh, coming back on, especially in the service and retail side of the equation, which has been hit the hardest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that, that sounds like, to my point, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, but it is going to get better. That's right. If, if, if clients and investors, when they look at, at, at building portfolios, need to be very diligent in terms of what companies uh, demonstrate resilient structures, business models that can ride through some of the volatility, there's going to be some companies that are not going to be able to ride through the next several quarters. And so really, obviously, we're biased at, at our firm with respect to an active approach to fixed income. But you need to start to segregate how do how do certain companies react during these various market cycles? Because what we'd say is various industries go through their own micro cycle. And you see that in oil and gas. You see that in retail. You see that in technology. So you might have broad economic cycles, global economic cycles or U.S. cycles. 
But within those business cycles, underlying industries go through their own ups and downs. And that's what we're trying to, to basically unpack. What companies survive some of the volatility of, of COVID? What companies maybe have taken on too much debt? But then picking those winners and trying to avoid those losers on a go-forward basis. So what of that can you talk to? Are you able to get more specific on that? Or you want to stay at more of the kind of the sector level as to like what's, what might be a, a good play going forward? Sure. I mean, so our, our view on a go-forward basis is what, what companies have taken care of their balance sheet? What, so put this in, in the consumer side is what companies haven't spent their credit card? What companies have not taken on a lot of debt? And what companies have a fairly resilient business model or moat around their business from a competitive landscape at a very high level? Number two, then, is where, what do I want to own? Do I want to own investment-grade corporate bonds? So think of this as, as triple B or single A bonds. Do I want to own high-yield bonds? So going lower in credit quality, call it in the double B, single B space. Or do I want to own mortgage-backed securities, which is basically pooling together a number of mortgage loans and securitizing them? Where do I want to be within each of those subsectors or food groups within the fixed income landscape? And then what am I getting paid for that? Am I getting paid high single-digit yields or am I getting paid low single-digit yields? And then what's the type of risk or liquidity that I'm taking on? All those factors play into how we think about taking risk on, on a go-forward basis. So f- from that perspective, what industries are currently feeling a lot of the pressure? Well, clearly retail, feeling a lot of the pressure. If you look at the auto space in terms of those that are borrowing for car payments in terms of the auto space or what we call the asset-backed security space, clearly individuals are going to rather pay their mortgage or their lighting bill versus their car payment. And so you want to be mindful of sort of the flow-through effect of when consumers could potentially dial back. Uh, all those factors, as well as what we see in terms of what we do like, would be areas in the financial services space, healthcare. Our view in financial services in the banking space today, Bart, is one where you've seen a very significant regulatory regime from 2007, 2008 to today. What is that regulatory regime? It's Dodd-Frank, it's the Volcker Rule, where they put on very restrictive policies in terms of proprietary trading in terms of inventories, in terms of their lending policies. All that has really fortified the bank balance sheets over the last 10 years post the 2008 crisis. So at PIMCO, our view is the banks are in a better initial conditions today than what they were uh, back in 2007 and 2008. And so that's given us at least a view that what we're seeing today is different than what we saw of the banking and mortgage crisis of 2007, 2008. On the healthcare side and the telecom side, areas there, uh, the demographic component within healthcare, clearly a strong uh, consumption factor as we see aging demographics in the U.S. In terms of telecom and media and hardwire, all components where you have hard assets that you can look through in terms of assessing uh, the broad collateral of some of these companies that issue bonds. All that leads us to be very measured in our approach of where we want to take exposure on behalf of our shareholders. 
You clearly you're talking about more in the in the corporate um, private world. How about in the uh, government fixed income? Sure. I mean, we, we always believe that that investors should have some core fixed income or or treasuries to offset the risk of equity risk of investment grade corporate bond risk or credit risk. So we always think it's a staple to have that safety of principal and interest in terms of whether that's treasuries or that's um, the government-sponsored enterprises of Fannie and Freddie and Jenny May Securities. So we always view that as having a role in the portfolio. At the same time, though, the starting yields, as I mentioned earlier, for a 10-year treasury of 0.7%, that uh, creates obviously a lot of headwinds. If you are a consumer, you're a retiree, and you're consuming your fixed income to live off of, if your money markets pay you zero, your 10-year treasury pays you 0.7%, by definition, you're going to have to look at other sources of return to fulfill your need for consumption. And so that's something just to sort of weigh what is my risk-return characteristics or tolerance as we're faced with an environment where the Fed has basically floored interest rates at zero, and you've seen the yield curve become very, very flat. And so what you've seen now, Bart, is you've seen that there's been an inflation and term premium that has collapsed. You're no longer being paid an extra yield for buying a longer duration bond or a longer maturity bond. And so that's something to be mindful of is do you extend out in terms of maturity, but do you pick up enough yield for the amount of interest rate risks that you're taking? And most investors would say, you know, I don't know if I really get paid enough to go out to a 20-year or 30-year bond. Maybe I should look at something else. And so that's something just to be mindful of in your discussions with, with investors. Yeah. So with regards to interest rates, municipal bonds, what's your, what's your outlook there? Sure. So in our view, on the interest rate side of the equation first, our view is what PIMCO would call as a new neutral regime. Meaning that if we go back over the last 25 years, a neutral policy rate where the Fed is no longer raising or lowering interest rates, but a neutral policy rate has been somewhere in the range of call it four and a half to 475%. And this environment on a go forward basis, just given slower global growth, overall GDP growing in the very low single digits, our view is a neutral policy rate is somewhere plus or minus 2%. And so if your view, if your worldview is fairly subdued growth going forward, we don't anticipate, we can always be wrong, we don't anticipate a massive spike in interest rates. Uh, that would really hurt the global economy. It really hurt a lot of these companies looking to finance some of their growth. And so our view is a fairly... Uh, muted environment in terms of interest rates being sort of range bound. In terms of inflation and taxes, you know, inflation we view to be very subpar not only today but over the next several quarters as we continue to recover. And then taxes, uh, this is something that always favors municipal bonds, especially in California. And in an environment where you could potentially see higher tax regimes. You want to be mindful that you can defend against one confiscation of wealth. 
And that one compensation of wealth, at least in terms of munis, is taxes. The second compensation of wealth is inflation. So as you build portfolios, if investors can defend against two confiscations of wealth, taxes and inflation, that hopefully puts them in a position when they hit retirement where they have enough of a, a portfolio value to live uh, in retirement. And so in, in the case of California, when you look at municipal bonds today, especially in California, tax-free municipal bonds could be a very attractive place to to place capital, but very dependent on the investor's risk tolerance and their tax regime as well in terms of what those tax adjustable yields look like, Bart. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Kevin, 30 minutes flies by really fast when we're in deep conversation, so we are running close to the end. Before I ask you my final thought question, which is upcoming, what are some closing thoughts that uh, you uh, might have um, through PIMCO? Sure. So I would think uh, in terms of how I would frame this uh, to to investors is think of the world or the investment world in concentric circles. And the very center of your concentric circle, it's short-term treasuries, it's high-quality government-backed securities in the very center. And as you move out those concentric circles, you take on more risk and hopefully more yield or more return. And so I would take a measured approach in terms of how far out the concentric circle diagram investors are willing to go for potentially more return or or yield. The second part would be look up portfolios and outline where you think there's gaps. Gaps being where are there opportunities to further diversify my portfolio or where are there opportunities to take advantage of some very attractive prices in the marketplace today given the the sell-off that we've seen. And then start to do research on those positions or those categories or asset classes today that when the time comes in terms of a a dislocation or a price drop or some type of event, you've already conducted your research and you know exactly where you want to deploy capital. So having those two components as part of your playbook, I think helps a lot of investors sort of frame and, and, and sort of think through their positions and try to exclude or, or put out the noise that's generated from uh, what we see on TV. Yeah. I think that alone, that last comment, the noise on TV, that that's probably the most profound, but yeah, thanks for sharing that entire, that entire statement. So Kevin, my final thought question is what I have the pleasure of asking all of my guests is Kevin, what is your ultimate lesson learned as a investment professional, you and I have near the same number of years. You're 21 years in the business. And this is now us together. We've our third, let's call it major recession. So what is your mm. ultimate lesson learned during that time? My, my ultimate lesson would be, would be patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, avoid the emotional component. And, and I think that would be the takeaway, whether you're looking at uh, the dot-com, Enron, WorldCom, the Asian crisis in 98, to what we saw in 2008 to today is to have patience ride through the volatility and take your time when you're deploying capital and don't make a a emotional decision right off the bat. Great words. Great words. All right. We are out of time. And I think we've set a record. Paul has not spoken once during our show. So I don't know if he's taken. I don't know what uh, to say when, when you have two experts talking two serious things, it's not time for some smart alecky guy to come in and make a crack here. That's all I can tell you here. There he is. 
All right. Hey, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a very busy schedule, so I want to thank you and Josh for making this happen. Um, I want to thank listeners for tuning in. Uh, We look forward to being in our virtual studio again next week. Cheers. And tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting bartzanbergen.podbean.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. Bart A. Zanbergen, CFP, and Letitia Burbaum, AIF, are registered investment advisors with Optivist, Inc., and registered representatives with Gramercy Securities, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered by Optivist, Inc., under SEC registration.